Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Would you open it up, Genesis chapter 41? Would you turn on your smartphone or open up the real thing, the paperback? But would you open up your Bible, Genesis chapter 41? And as we begin today, I just want to begin by just asking the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Can we just open with a word of prayer and just begin to focus? There's been a lot going on, powerful worship, some fun things to celebrate, cool announcements, but I believe there's nothing more important than getting into God's word and letting his holy spirit work on each of us amen so let's pray holy spirit god jesus we come before you today and god we ask you to just speak to our hearts god we ask you to speak to those places that we have been ignoring god we ask that you would that we would just be open to not only your words but maybe god in some cases your comfort Maybe in some cases, your correction. God, and and in all cases, God, may we just leave today knowing how much you madly care for your people, that you care for us, that you are a savior that has come close, that you sent your son for us. So God, we are ready to listen. We're ready to get into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, can we say amen? Amen. Well, can we welcome those um, that might be jumping in online with us as well to the 10 o'clock hour? We've been in this series called Plot Twist. And Joseph, would you agree with me if I said Joseph's life has been filled with plot twists? It's, it's been filled with right turn after left turn. It's been filled with detours. In each of these situations, I believe God is preparing Joseph through his experiences, and how many of us know actually his experiences aren't all that good? Uh, God has been preparing him through experiences for his ultimate purpose, to use him in a mighty way. Genesis 41, how many of us were excited to get to Genesis 41 last week? Finally, some good news, right? Some good news in the house. Brennan, could you bring me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm ready to like bring it, but the mic, I, I, I feel like I can't shout. There we go, I'm ready, all right. Genesis 41, there was some good news, but before that happened, there was 13 years of struggle. Uh, There was 13 years of abuse, of unfair treatment. There was 13 years of hurt. There was 13 years where, gosh, could we say this? Joseph's life must have just been filled with disappointments, filled with like getting your hopes up, getting excited, and then something just happens and it sends him on another plot twist. And through all of it, here's one thing I want to highlight. If you you have some notes today, Anybody have a pen and paper? I want you to get busy with us today, all right? But through it all, it seems like Joseph stayed the course and made a decision to stick with God. It seemed like he made a decision to not look elsewhere. And I would say this, if Joseph could be here with us today, I would think as he matured and as he lived like 80 more years or so, I would think he would tell us, you know what? In this life, you're going to experience hardship abuse, you're going to experience unfair treatment, you're going to experience being looked over, passed over, you're going to experience suffering. But man, I think Joseph would tell us if, turn to someone and say if, if you bring God into the situation, 
If you allow God to work in that situation, there's a promise in Scripture that God says, for the good of those that are in Him, God will use the things that we walk through. He will use the evil that we experience, and God somehow will always use it for good. The Bible doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good, does it? Aren't you thankful it doesn't say that? Because sometimes flat out, some things that happen to us aren't good. Sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's wrong. Things that happen to us break God's heart, but the Bible is clear that God will use evil. He will use it for the good of his kingdom. Joseph, he was one resilient guy. He was one resilient young man. It seems like every time he got knocked down, he always seemed to, even when he was suffering, he seemed to have a habit of pointing people to God. He didn't have a a habit of complaining about God. He seemed to point people to God, and we see that God is always working on behalf to use Joseph in a mighty way. We picked up, we left off at chapter 41, so if you've missed a few weeks, I encourage you, just kind of read in some of these chapters. I read all of chapter 40 to 50 this week, and there's some wonderful, wonderful stuff in this story But where we pick it up today, Joseph, now there's some good things happening. How many of us are ready to read about this, right? There's some blessings in his life. We left it off in in chapter 41. Joseph is now blessed beyond measure. Joseph, no doubt, is wealthy. How many of us think that's pretty cool? I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, right? Joseph is wealthy. Joseph is powerful. He's a shot caller. He's in charge. And he is blessed beyond measure. That's where we left off. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 41. But you know something about Joseph? It seems like whether he was in prison or the palace, the Bible always describes a man who seems to me to be very humble. Would you agree with that, church? He seems to have a humble heart no matter where God places him. And now he is blessed, but that humility still shines through in Scripture. Let's kind of rehash a little bit. Genesis 41, and let's look at this in verse 50. And you might be like, why are we starting where we left off last week? But here's what I want to point out about Joseph, a couple things. Verse 50 says this, During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph. Remember, this is, there were seven good years, and these seven years are good to Joseph. He has two sons in this time, and born to his wife, Asnath. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, look at this. Would you underline this in your scripture? God made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. 52, Joseph named his second son Ephraim, uh, for he said, God has made me fruitful In this land of what? In the land of my grief. In the land where I've suffered so much, God has made me fruitful. Well, you might be asking, why are we kind of starting with this idea, going back to what we briefly skipped over last week? But I want to point this out. In naming two sons, Joseph is making a statement here, church. In the very name of his two sons, he's saying that God made me forget all of the troubles that I have walked through for 13 years, right? Even those that he suffered, the hurt that he suffered at 17, the hurt that he suffered as a teenager. It's an interesting name, but the first son's name, would you write it down? His name was Manasseh, and in the Hebrew, it actually means this, to forget. Would you write that down in your notes today? He named his son Manasseh, which in the original language means to forget. Right? Joseph was saying, and almost like every time he, 
he, he, he, he speaks this over the life of his family and his son, but how many times do we say our kids' names during a day, parents? A lot, right? And it's almost as if every time he speaks out his son's name, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to refuse to look back. Why would I look back when I have this beautiful son right here? Why would I look back? God has made me forget the sting of my past. He, he looked at maybe, he looked at his wife, his beautiful wife. And his beautiful son, he named him Manasseh. He says, God is, God's removed the sting of my memory. How many of us have had those moments where for some reason our brain just in an instant recalls something that stings us a little bit? God has removed it. The second name, Ephraim, uh, it means twice fruitful. In the land where I have suffered, God has blessed me abundantly. Just in naming his two children, our, our brain has an amazing ability to recall information. Would you agree with that this morning? Sometimes it's shocking. I remember I saw my nephew a couple weeks in a stroller, and he was in, with his mother going through the hallways, and he had this Mickey Mouse shirt that was painted. It had an interesting look. And right away, I looked at him, and I said, is that the shirt that Harper wore when she stood up for the first time? I literally like had this moment where my brain recalled this long-lost information that was filed away somewhere back there, and I remember she pulled herself up at Cars Land in Disneyland, right? And she pulled herself up in this shirt, and I instantly remembered it, and it was on this little 16-month-old baby boy. But Joseph, if, if you're like me, I have a tendency to remember the sting of hurt. And I'm thinking, you've got Potiphar's wife, you've got a few brothers, one of them named Reuben, one of them named Judah, there's a few others, right? There's Dan, there's these brothers, there's the cupbearer. And I think, man, Joseph has risen rapidly to power. And how tempting it must be to take care of business. Would anybody here agree with that, or am I just the only sicko in the house? Right? Like, how tempting it must be to right the wrongs of our past in a physical way, in a godfather way, in a tombstone-type way, right? But people, right, as we talk about our brain and how we remember each of us have a past, don't we? As we get into scripture today, and this topic today, each of us have someone in our lives who has hurt us. Each of us have a Potiphar's wife or a brother named Reuben or a, a, a somebody like Potiphar, a boss. Somebody, each of us have a cupbearer, someone who forgot us, who, who stung us, who cursed us, who told a lie about us, who abused something. There is something, abuse. and like We all have someone who has hurt us. Each of us have that in common. Number one, as we talk about Joseph today, as we talk about Joseph, this, this young man, he's, he's probably in his mid-30s now at this point, but he is in his prime. He is, he is at the top of his game. He is the administrator, the governor, the prime minister of Egypt. He is walking and moving in his purpose. But I think one of the reasons he's able to do this is because, would you write this down, number one. Number one, Joseph was able to move into his purpose because I think it requires a Manasseh moment. It's an interesting point, right? But what I mean by that is it requires this moment where you say, God, you have blessed me enough to forget. God, you've blessed me enough that I am going to move on. And I think that as we kind of talk about our message today, could it be that some of us need to deal with this idea, this topic, this emotion, that we need to ask God, God, would you remove the sting of my memory? 
God, would you remove that, that file that, that, that something just keeps coming up, it, it pops up in my brain. God, would you remove the sting of my past? Would you erase it like only you are capable of doing? But the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. I love the pastor. About 10 years ago, Pastor Judd over at Central, they had a, a theme about their church, and, and everybody calls Vegas what? What is Vegas? Sin City. And their theme at Central, it was amazing. They said, no, 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 we're going to call it. We're, not, we're refused to call it that. We're going to call it Grace City. Because where sin abounds, the Bible says that there is more grace. Amen? And Joseph is a prime example of a man I believe the reason he responded and acted and worked in the way he did and managed in the manner that he did is because he was a man that understood grace. He understood his relationship and his place with his God. And because he understood it so well, somehow he was, he was, he, he, he was capable of not holding a grudge. In fact, it almost seems like Joseph couldn't hold a grudge. It seems like God has changed his life so much that he was incapable of holding a grudge. How many of us would love to be like that? How many, like honestly, any of us, how many, I, I'll just raise both hands for me. I need to be a little bit more like this Joseph and not as much like this Joseph, right? Seriously, seriously. He's a prime example. It seems like he can't hold a grudge. And so in the next few passages, in the next few chapters of Genesis, you're going to see, and maybe I would encourage you to read all the way through chapter 50 this week. Just spend some time in it. But you're going to see a man who, he has amassed power. Joseph has gained wealth. He has gained notoriety. He has gained position. Um, and we're going to see how he handles the blessings that are now in his life. When he is given authority, ultimate authority, he holds the keys to the kingdom, folks. He holds the money, the wealth, the food during a famine. He, hold, he, he controls the banks during a recession, Right? And so as we look at the life of Joseph, there's a few more things I want to point out. Would you write this down in your notes today? What can we learn from this young man? What can we learn from this hero of the faith? Here's another one, kind of like a side point. I, I just wrote down A, B, and C because I didn't want to have six points today, but I really hid them in there. So what can we learn from Joseph? We can learn this, lengthy, lengthy affliction, it doesn't need to discourage us. It doesn't need to discourage us for 13 years of his life nothing went right does that encourage anybody here today i hope so right from age 17 nothing was fair right 13 years of setback after setback and it seems like joseph seemed to live his life beyond discouragement i'm sure there were moments where he felt it I'm sure there were moments where he was grieving, but it doesn't seem that the writer in Genesis, it doesn't seem like he lived in it. Does that make sense? It doesn't seem like he dwelt on it daily. We know that from when he experienced his time in prison with the, the, the baker and the, and the cupbearer, right? If you remember in this story a few weeks back, we read Joseph asked him like, hey, why are, you guys, why are your daughters down? It's a good day to be in jail. No, it seemed like that, right? They're like, we're in prison. And he's like, why are you guys so upset? Right? Joseph didn't seem to dwell in his past all that often. Uh, the second one, B, bad memories don't have to, they need not to defeat us. They don't have to defeat us. It's one thing, it sounds good to say it, doesn't it? Like a little self-help talk. It sounds good to just speak it out loud, but it's, 
much more difficult to live it. Joseph, I believe, lived it. Joseph, it's, it's like he says, God has given me, he, 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 he said it in his, the names of his son, God has given me Manasseh. God has given me Ephraim. Why would I keep thinking about the dungeon when I'm now in the palace, right? Why would I keep thinking about the past where I look at where God has brought me today and each of us as we talk about painful memories, we all have a person, a friend, someone that has hurt us and as we kind of get into the scriptures today, my prayer is that maybe, even to encourage, maybe some of us, we need a friend to talk some things out with. Uh, maybe some of us, you might, I mean, a professional counselor to talk things through, to, to, to sit down with and, and partner with you. But I encourage us as a church, we, this encouragement is easier to say than to do, but it's to say this, we don't need to be defeated by our bad memories. The third one, C, and, and this is interesting because sometimes I, I find myself relating to one of these two types of people often. Great blessings don't disqualify you from serving. Did you read that right? Some of us are like, wait, what do you mean by that? Think, think of the life of Joseph. He's now ultimately blessed. He's the king of the castle. He's the man. He is in charge. And you know what I, I find when I, when I think about Scripture you know the Bible says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with, the, right? I think sometimes in the church, if I'm really honest, it's easier to weep with those who weep than to kind of go through all of Scripture and do the other part, and then it is to celebrate with those who've been promoted. Did you hear that? Would you agree with that sometimes, depending on our, our, where we're at in life? Sometimes we find it easier to weep with those who weep than to celebrate with those that we see as blessed in a certain moment or promoted. And I think that says a lot about us, doesn't it? It says a lot about uh, it, 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 why, why is it easier to weep with those that are hurting and then why do we find it hard at times to celebrate achievement? Where sometimes like someone is blessed and what we would say, like if someone is blessed, there's a part of us, does anybody ever do this? We would never do this in the church, but if someone is blessed, in a monetary sense, in a professional sense, in, in the sense of a, a title or creature comforts, whatever we want to say, what is it about us that part of us begins to look upon them with a sense of suspicion? Right? It got real quiet in here. We're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Willis. Right? We know. It's because our nature kicks in. Jealousy, envy, selfish ambition, criticism. It kicks in. And what's so interesting in this story, Joseph walked through all this suffering. And you know, I think part of me goes, man, you know the reason we root for him? Because we know his backstory. If we didn't know all of the things he has walked through, if we didn't know his story completely, would we be so quick to celebrate his success? Ouch, right? Yet we see it's, it's like God uses his power, his influence, his wealth, his, his skill set, his administrative skills. He uses Joseph to preserve his people. But I think the reality is for some of us, if we didn't know Joseph's background, we would be a little suspicious of him. We'd probably think of him as any other Egyptian ruler. Genesis 42. Let's get into God's word this morning. Starting in verse 1. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, 
Why are you standing around looking at one another? I love this. We're going to stop right there. Dad is still alive. He's old, but he's healthy. And look at Dad's still in charge, isn't he? And I love this scripture as we stop in verse 1. The worldwide famine, it has struck hard in this culture, folks. People are starving. People are dying. And because of Joseph, guess who has all the food? Egypt. Because of Joseph's ability to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, because of Joseph's skills, Egypt is going to be blessed big time. They're going to make it, but not only, they're, they're going to financially, they're going to build an empire here. People are starving, and Egypt is the only country with food. So Jacob, he's getting up there in age, but he doesn't have time for patience anymore. How many of us are, are just at an age in life where you're like, I just need to say the truth? Oh, well, I love Jacob here. Would you read this with me? He says... He said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? Have you heard there is grain in Egypt? Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. <laughs> it's like the patriarch of the, fam the family still has to figure it out for these boys. Right? These guys are in their, their middle-aged men now with families of their own. He, he doesn't have time to, for, to, for like his sons to figure it out. He says, guys, we need food. That's what Jacob said. We need food. That's what some of us are saying around 12.30 when we get out of church today, right? 12 o'clock, we need food. We got to go. So he sent all his sons, and now, now get this. He sent all his sons except one of them. His name was Benjamin. And if you remember right from week one, we broke down the relationship between Joseph and Benjamin and whose sons they were. In fact, Benjamin is the full blood brother of who? Of Joseph. Right? Remember, Joseph and Benjamin were the only two sons of Rachel. Rachel, the, saint, the, 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 the two sons born to Rachel who Jacob loved. So verse 3, let's read this together. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with him. This is interesting. Do we see, like, old habits die hard, right? I, 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 I wonder what the older brothers even think of Benjamin at this point. Has Jacob learned anything? Like, I mean, it's interesting, but this is still going on. He says, no, I'm, I'm not going to let Benjamin go for what? Fear that some harm might come to him. Jacob is still not the world's greatest parent, as far as I'm concerned. Right? He's like, you can take the other ten. You guys all go travel, but Benjamin, you stay with me. You're going to keep you safe. Right? So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt, along with the others, to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. And no doubt there is some time that has passed. Church, about, we could say, 20 plus years have gone by where these brothers have not seen each other. They have no idea, these 10 brothers have no clue that their little brother is running the show. He's running Egypt. All they know is they need to bring back food to keep the family preserved, to keep everyone alive. These, these brothers are middle-aged men, and they're, they're bringing back food for their kids, their homes. And I'm, I wonder about this family, um, the dynamics here with these brothers. I wonder if they ever spoke about what they did to Joseph. Has this been something, this family issue, this family, is it just kind of laid dormant for 20 plus years? I'm sure Joseph has thought a lot about his family, especially his father especially his younger brother, Benjamin. But Joseph has a mission and a purpose for the last few years. His, his purpose has been survival. His purpose has been to manage this situation, to manage a catastrophe, right? And all of this 
All of these pieces, all of these people coming together after 20 plus years, it sets the stage, could I say it like this, for the coolest family reunion of all time. How many of us have ever been to a family reunion and like, this is crazy? Has anybody ever been like, this is my family, really? Like, right? Right? No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Um, but, but this sets the stage for a remarkable story about their family. Verse 6, since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people. It was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Does something come to our memory right there, church? Do we recall a certain dream, right, in a moment? But look at that. They, they, they bowed and they put their faces to the ground. Seven, Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. But he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. And there's no way these brothers would recognize him, right? Egyptians were known for being clean shaven. Shaven Hebrews were not, right? The head, all the different things, the look, Joseph, there's no way they would know this was his brother. But there he is, right in front of them, and all of the brothers are bowing down, bowing down before the governor, the prime minister of Egypt, and they have no idea that this Egyptian dressed in royal clothes and royal garb was their long-lost brother, who also, throw this in there, who they happened to betray, <laughs> right? We know the, the story they told their dad, but that was not quite accurate. Verse 8, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. And you can see a sense of panic take over these, these men. No, no, my Lord. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Now, I wonder if there was just a moment when they said, no, my Lord, if Joseph still was sitting there just ready to giggle. Like, ha, I knew it. I knew it. No, he didn't. He wouldn't have done that. I would have done that, right? I knew it. You bowed down. So, yes. Oh, your servants have come to buy food. No, my Lord, we're not spies. We've come to buy food. And like I said earlier, I, I wonder how many years have passed, but Joseph probably never thought he would see his family again. And his brain recalls that dream, all oh, that dream. His brain dials up a memory that maybe he forgot about. And, and, and I think his brain probably dialed up the emotions that went along with that dream. Do you remember, like, we, we, I joke and I, I talk about it, but they hated him because of that dream. Did you write that, right? They despised him for that dream. They made fun of, has anybody ever made fun of you, bullied you? You can go back, like some of us can be, you can be 50 years old and you remember someone treating you bad at 10. Right? Think of it. It's, it's crazy. Our brain has the power. They mocked him for that dream. They hated him for that dream. His own flesh and blood sold him for that dream he had. They sold him. And Joseph, I, I find this story interesting. He doesn't seem to, uh, he doesn't come right out with the truth, but he, I don't know if he's playing, he, he's waiting, he's investigating, he's getting creative. I think even some ways, I know we think of like throwing him in prison, but like only three days is nothing compared to the 13 years he had to spend, right? Like he, I think he gets a little playful. He gets interested. One of the words, if you know Kim Malloy in our church, one of the words I've heard her say a lot over the last season of life is curious. Could we say it like this? I think Joseph gets curious about his brothers. 
He gets curious about where have they been? What have they been doing? Who have they become? He obviously is a, a man that is successful. There's no one that is comparable to him in wealth and power and statues, so he doesn't need to compare himself to his brothers. But I think he gets creative. He gets curious about their story. He gets curious possibly about their past. He's wondering about his father, about his brother. Who have they grown to be, and is there anything I can find out, I can discover? Have these, I wonder if he's thinking, have these knuckleheads changed at all? Right? Because I could kill him on the spot. I could take care of business right now. He knows that. Without a word, he could just give his guards a look, and they would take care of these guys. But I think there's, there's something in Joseph. He's curious about his brothers, these men who are now fully grown men who betrayed him. Verse 11. We are all brothers, and remember, they're, they're talking to their youngest brother. He knows. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. And look at Joseph. Yes, you are. I, I find it interesting here. Joseph begins to accuse them, and they just begin to tell him everything he really wants to know. He's, that's probably what he's, he's like, man, every time I, I scare them a little bit, they tell me more information, Right? Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, we, there are actually 12 of us. They give him more info. Your servants are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. What did they just tell him without Joseph even prying further into it? They, they just told him, your father's alive. He's back home. Or you, he, he's still there. They just gave him the info. In the land of Canaan, then they say this, our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. He's interested in Benjamin. They just told him, Benjamin's alive. Your father Jacob's alive. And then get this, and then actually it's interesting. They're truthful in an area where they don't even need to be truthful because it's a secret they have no doubt either buried or swept away, but they come out with it, most of the truth. They say one of our brothers is no longer with us. They leave out some of the dirty details, but that is the truth. They're, one of their brothers is no longer with them. Verse 14, but Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. Joseph, I, I love that through his conversation, just his natural ability to communicate with people, he, he begins to gather all the information he is actually looking for. And these brothers unknowingly just tell him everything about his dad, everything about his father. They're still alive. And, and what's interesting in verse 18, let's skip ahead a couple verses, because Joseph changes the plan. And we don't know exactly why Joseph changed the plan, because he said, none of you until your younger brother. But now he says, he must have had time. He wondering about his brothers, wondering about his father for a long time. Let's get back into the word. What does it say? On the third day, Joseph said to them, I'm a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with your grain for your starving families. Look at this, the, the mercy Joseph shows here when we think about it. He says, you need to get this food home to your starving families. But verse 20, you must bring your youngest brother back to me, and this will prove that you're telling the truth. You will not die. To this, they agreed. Before they leave, something interesting takes place. Joseph, we're going to see in the next verse, begins to listen in on a conversation. Can we read verse 21? 
speaking among themselves. See, up until this point, Joseph's been using an interpreter. He's no doubt disguised, he's well-shaven, he's healthy, he looks totally different, right? How many of us look a little different at, from age 17 to like 35? <laughs> oh man, goodness, goodness. But speaking among themselves, Joseph listened in as they spoke in Hebrew to each other. Is anyone here bilingual? Actually, don't raise your hand because it's a great secret to keep, no, I'm right? But like, I wish I could speak Spanish. I wish I could speak, like I have a, a, a niece, we have a kid in our youth group, I have a niece that speaks French and she's this like blue-eyed girl and nobody would guess that she just understands like everything. I know this one girl in our church, she, she speaks Portuguese and like most of Spanish. How many of us would love to be able to speak multiple languages? Come on, let's be real. I think that would be one of the coolest, I'm still trying to figure out English, but I would love to be able to speak multiple languages for the, the just the simple fact that like, man, they don't think I'm listening. I know everything they're up to. I know everything they're saying. And imagine, like, put yourself in the, in, in the governor's court, in Joseph's home, in this palace. He's just sitting there looking like he's, he's talking, waiting, you know, using a translator. He's got this disguise going. But look at this. He understands it all. Speaking among themselves, they said clearly, look what they said. We're being punished for what we did to our brother. Look at what happens. Something in their brain recalls a hurt, recalls damage, recalls some trauma that they knew they caused to someone they loved. They were jealous of him. They hurt him intentionally. But look at, I love this verse. It says, we're being punished because we, what we did to Joseph some 20 plus years ago. This is a, a scripture that I think about would we, let's read this, think about this. We saw his, what? This New Living Translation says, we saw his anguish. Joseph didn't, right, right in, earlier in Genesis, we didn't, we didn't get so much of this emotion from Joseph. But the brothers remember something. They remember betraying their youngest brother. They saw the look on his face. They saw the heartbreak in his eyes. They remember that face. They remember, we sold him, and I remember the, I remember the look is what they're saying. I remember when we sold him. I remember his face when he pleaded for his life. But then they said, but we wouldn't listen, would we? And Joseph just standing there listening to them. And they say, that's why we're in this trouble. A memory is activated, something that's activated in their brain that they can't get out of their mind. The look, I love how descriptive this is. The look that Joseph gave them has been seared into their guilty conscience. Whoa. The eyes that he, he made when they threw him in the pit, and then when they, they pulled him out and then sold him to the slave traders, they can't get that vision out of their guilty conscience. When we sold him, I remember those eyes. When we sold him, I remember the anguish, the pain on his face. Verse 22. Reuben says this, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. And I'm sure Reuben's carrying this grief too because he's probably going, and I didn't man up to stop you. I should have gone in the pit with him. You want to tell you, right? Take me on, right? But Reuben, there's a guilt on all of him. He says, you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. I wonder if this is the first time as a family they've had this discussion. Has anybody here ever wondered that? 
I'm just wondering, right? Just kind of putting myself in that context, in that culture. I wonder if it's the first time they're dealing with this, this mistake from their past, this, this event that, that bonds all of them as brothers together, right? Years have passed, but somehow they recall the exact moment of what his face, the distress, the look, the expression of his face, the heartbreak of betraying their younger brother. 23, of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them. I love how this just reads as a novel, don't you? They didn't know Joseph could understand Hebrew, no idea. For he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them, and look at this church, it says this. I think Joseph got his answer because he began to weep. He began to weep. He turned away and he began to weep. Joseph heard them express something that I think for 13 years, actually for 20 plus years, he probably wondered. For 20 plus years, Joseph probably wondered, did they, did they ever regret it? Did they ever regret selling me, hurting me, betraying me? Did they ever feel bad about it or did they just move on? And how many of you, is this an amazing story because he gets to listen in on a conversation. I think of this, I want, I want us to kind of as we get ready to close today and as we move into a time of prayer today, what would it feel like hearing from someone who wronged you so much, right? Think of it, he hears his 10 brothers, they wronged him completely. But what would it feel like? What would it sound like? What would it be like to experience the emotions of Joseph right now? To hear someone who wronged you so much admit that it is crushing them. Interesting, right? The people who betrayed him, they're, 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 they're talking about how they've been, they've been carrying this for so long. It's crushing them. It's killing them what they did to their brother. And it says he left the room so he could weep. And he keeps his identity a secret for now, for a while. Verse 25, and look at the grace that Joseph offers here. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, fill them up, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. 26, so the brothers loaded up their donkeys with the grain and headed for home but verse 27, but when they stopped for the night and one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey, he found his money in the top of his sack. And, and I don't know about some of us, like if, if I hit the jackpot, I would be excited about it. But when you have a guilty conscience, when you know you're guilty of something, look at their reaction actually. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers. Verse 28, my money's been returned. It's here in my sack and then their hearts sank. I, you, you think they'd be rejoicing, right? But no, 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 not these brothers. They're like, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. What is the Lord, what is God doing to us, right? Their hearts sank, trembling. They said to each other, what has God done to us? And I believe their reaction is because the brothers feel the weight of their guilt, right? If they didn't have a guilty conscience, I think they would have been celebrating. They would have been excited about this blessing. Instead, they are horrified. They are frightened. They have a guilty conscience. And, and for some of us, as we get ready to just kind of close and pray this morning, I would say it like this.
Time doesn't heal a guilty conscience. Time doesn't heal what these brothers have been hit with. But God's grace can. Number two, our final point today. This is, what can we learn from Joseph, folks? Man, we give total grace when realizing we are recipients of undeserved grace. Would you write that down this morning? Would you highlight that in your notes? We give total grace when we finally understand the grace we've received. Do we hear that? When we finally understand the grace God has shown us, we begin to give people what they don't deserve. I remember when I was in my younger 20s, I felt like God was working on me and walking through things. And I remember feeling like, uh, man, God was convicting me. Like, God, I'm, I'm really hard on people. God, I'm, I'm really judgmental. God, I'm really, I'm really tough when people mess up. And sometimes I think God has to take us to a breaking point to understand just how much we've been forgiven. God has to break us so we understand his grace and his mercy. What did these brothers deserve, church? Right? I'll tell you this. They deserved no bread, no grain, no money. They deserved no mercy, Cobra Kai style. Right? That should be a thing. No bread, no grain, no mercy, Cobra Kai. Right? They deserved none of it. What did they, right? They deserved punishment. They deserved imprisonment. They deserved retaliation. They deserved an eye for an eye. That's what they deserved, and Joseph didn't. Instead, what did they receive? They received received full bags. They received stacks of cash, and they received their freedom. And I think about Potiphar's wife. I think of the cupbearer. I think of these 10 brothers. They all deserve to be on the governor's hit list. They did. They all deserve to be on Joseph's hit list. And Joseph instantly rose to power. He instantly rose to fame. And, and, and man, if there's anybody who had the opportunity to plot the perfect revenge dish, best served cold, it was Joseph. And what did he do? You know, what's interesting is, as we continue to read, in fact, we don't... I, I, I don't think, as I read these 10 chapters this week, we ever see a word, ever, we ever see a word written down speaking one word of resentment against these characters in his life. We don't see Joseph responding or mentioning them. Later, we see that he never responds with retaliation, but he responds with grace and goodness and abundance and abundance and abundance of mercy. I'm going to close with this simple thought, and I titled this sermon. You might have been wondering, what on earth is that title? Well, here it is. I just want to close this. We close with service today. I want to just challenge you. Are you ready for it? <laughs> Here's the question Who's still on your list? Ouch. Right? Joseph could have made a list, a hit list. Who's still on your list? Because I'm guessing each of us might have a few names that we need to ask God to erase. That we need to say, God, 
I need you to take this memory away. God, I need a Manasseh moment. Are you keeping a list? (laughs) Are you keeping a list? And if you are, who's on that list? I think as Christ followers, sometimes we think we don't do that. We forgive everybody. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, we choose to ignore God's grace all the time, don't we? We're thankful for it in our own lives, but we don't always want to extend it. But I think Joseph had no problem doing it because God put him in a place of so much abundance, so much power that he said, God, you have totally restored and rearranged my story that my only response to these people is grace. That's all I can give them is is mercy because my life, God, you you have made it so good. God, you've blessed me with Manasseh and Ephraim and my wife, Asnath. God, you've made it so amazing. You've rearranged it and restored. And yet we see all the time as Christians, we can be insensitive, can't we? Anybody else feel like that? We can be callous. We can be unforgiving, not extending the mercy, right? And I say it like this. Our prayer teams this morning, I'm going to pray in a moment and ask you to, to kind of move up here and, and uh, as we pray, as, as we bow our heads, not just right now, but in a moment. I want to ask you this. People who keep a list usually tend to be insensitive towards the things of God. Have you ever noticed people like they love the Lord, but man, they just blurt out a lot, <laughs> right? People who hold a grudge, they tend to be callous towards the, the sensitive things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I think, man, what a horrible way to live. Not showing forgiveness. Not letting people, not taking people's names off our list. What a horrible way to live. What a horrible way to die. Because we have that appointment too. We like to not think about it. We're going to take that list with us. And I'd say this, man, if you are keeping a list, church, this morning, then I'm going to just challenge you with all challenges and say, if if you're keeping a list, you need to revisit the cross. Did you hear that, church? If you're keeping a list, you need to revisit the cross because at the cross of Jesus Christ, he removed my name, right? At the cross of Jesus Christ, he removed your name. He removed our names, right? We had our name on a list. That list was separation. That list was death. That list was no access to a loving God. We haven't earned that type of favor, but his grace has given us life. Can someone say amen in this house? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Prayer teams, pastors, worship team, I'd like you to find a place. I want to close today with some some spiritual battle, church. I want to close today with some time to, to pray. Because I think today's message, the Holy Spirit is speaking something into the life of our church, into our home, into our marriages, into our life as parents, as individuals. That maybe some of you are here, you're, you're saying, God, I want to move and I want to minister and I want to serve and I want to walk into my purpose. But God is saying, I can't use you because you're keeping a list. <laughs> I can't use you because I showed you grace, but you're not given any. I can't use you yet. You keep those, those memories keep coming up and you're holding on to that list. God, we pray for day, to, for today, for strength. God, we pray for strength like Joseph. 
Can we bow our heads, church? Let's close our eyes. God, we pray for strength like Joseph. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching at home online, and you're like, wow, this is just hitting me. Maybe you realize you have a list, and it hurts. And mentioning those names hurt. Mentioning those people hurt. Mentioning that spouse that divorced you hurt. Mentioning that person who cheated on you, it hurts. And you may never be in a place like Joseph to offer stacks of cash, to offer food. You may never be in a place like Joseph where you're operating from a position of total power. But I want to say it like this. In your heart, you can erase that list. Because although the way that that person wronged you, it hurts, the reality is God's promise, God's word says he restored you. God's word says his grace has redeemed you. God's word says he has redeemed you and rearranged your life. Because he takes what the enemy meant for good and he, for evil, and he takes it and he uses it for good for those in him. So if you are in him, that is a promise. That is a promise. As we close today, I wanted to just offer a time of prayer. I wanted to say, man, I love asking if people know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus. But I believe there's some of us here that we need to approach the Lord. We need to partner with someone in prayer. We need to say, you know what, yep, I've been keeping a list. If that's you this morning, if you want to say, yeah, I've got a list and I need some help, would you just lift your hand? Would you just lift your hand if you say, you know, I have a hard time getting, this memory is seared into my conscience and it keeps coming up. If you raised your hand today, I would invite you to just, would you just pray with someone? Would you just even have the boldness? Would you just come out of your chair right now? Would you just come up and would you pray with, Pastor Greg is over there, Jen, we got some stretch people, we got some worship team people. If you lifted your hand, some of us are like, oh no, I didn't mean to lift my hand now. <laughs> but we know if you did. So those of you that did, I want to just uh, be bold. And can we come just pray? Can we come before the Lord where two or more are gathered? God, there you will be. And so come on, get up out of your chair. I see your hands up still. Come on, move over, move out of your chair. Let's pray. Let's pray. If your hand went up, you said, God, I'm keeping a list. Find Pastor Greg. Find one of our drummers. Find one of our worship team members. Come up and pray. Maybe you're here today and you need to know, maybe you're on somebody's list and you need to know the Lord's forgiven you. Ooh, maybe you're here today and you're on someone's list, something you did. I would say like this, God wants you to know he's forgiven you. He's forgiven you. He wants you to know he sent his son for you, that he's waiting on you ready and waiting to say yes to Jesus, to his mercy, to his grace, to eternal life because of Jesus. God, we just pray. God, we come before you. I want to encourage you. If you want to pray, just come up. Jesus went to the cross so that anyone who would be forgiven and transformed that calls on his name, he will change you, he will save you, he will meet with you. He will meet you right where you are. And you'll become a brand new person on the inside. Jesus, would you come and would you change us? If you're sitting today and, and a lot of us, God, can we just pray that? Jesus, would you change us? 
Jesus, would you soften my heart? Thank you for rearranging my life. How many of us are thankful he's rearranged our life? Amen? Thank you for making us new. Calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses One who opened up the oceans. I need you now to do the same thing for me. Church, can we stand to our feet? Can we extend our hands? Can we tell them? Let's sing. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, 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 rock, oh, rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness. Can we put those words on the screen? On your faithfulness. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Rock of Ages. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. Amen. God, we come and God, we lift up our prayers to you. God, we lift up our homes to you. God, we lift up our lives. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then. You will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God you were providing then. God, would you provide right now? You're the same God. You're the same God. You are the same. You moved in power. You moved in power then. God, move in power now. You are the same God. God, we need healing in this place. We need healing in our homes. You were a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are the Savior then. You're still my Savior now. You are the same God. You are the same God the captives then you're freeing hearts right now you are the same God you are let's sing that again God you freed the captives you freed the captives then you're freeing hearts right now 
You are the same God. You are the same God. You touched the lepers then. I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Yes, Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move. Yes, you are the same. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and fill me again. God, fill us again. God, fill us again. God, fill your church again. God, fill Cornerstone again. Holy Spirit, come and overflow. Come and fill our hearts again, Lord. Amen. We're going to close and I would just invite us to keep this atmosphere of prayer. We're going to continue to worship. I know for me this is overtime, which I don't like doing unless there's a reason to do it. Amen? But I know we're getting short and, and our kids are still over there. So I want to invite, if you've got kids over in J.C. Park and enjoying fall fun, if you need to get to lunch because it's almost 12 o'clock and football's starting, God bless you. Get going. You are dismissed. But there's some prayer going on. If you need prayer, if you want to come in prayer with our teams, our worship teams, we're going to be available. We're going to continue to worship. And so let's try to keep that atmosphere going. But God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.